Um, so yeah, we're going to continue on. Um, the first week we covered kind of general and basic questions and uh, just an overview, and we uh, gave you guys an informational guide for the uh, on Facebook or whatever that came out of mentalhealth.gov, which I think is really helpful. I'd you know, give some suggestions. It, it asks good questions for community conversations, but you could use those in times of people or just as reflective questions for yourself. Second week, um, last week was about ministering to others. I think we kind of hit a little bit of a negative tone with it, um, maybe not accidentally, you know, as we uh, talked about experiences of, uh, you know, making sure that you don't enable people and, uh, you know, really kind of get into the bottom of stories and stuff. And so we really want to do this second or third class as kind of more of a positive um, approach to how to really counsel. You know, we told you what to look out for, what to be careful about, and this one uh, really want to, to you know, strike a, I guess, a more positive tone about how to really give hope and joy to people, um, how to receive it yourself, how to really counsel people with those those things. So we're going to work off of some of those same five uh, questions we did that I posted on Facebook. Not questions, but sort of prompts, uh, which are, you know, what does it really look like to counsel someone within the community and outside of the community, and what are some of the differences and the, the sort of similarities there? What, what are some good questions to ask and how to be a really good listener, things to say, not to say, how to know when to uh, dig deeper with people and things. And then the fifth one, uh, how to really, you know, give people hope and joy because it's easy to look at the scripture and we've said this a couple times and say, oh, it doesn't talk about depression or anxiety or other mental health issues, but it really does. Anytime the scripture is talking about hope and joy, it's dealing with us having good mental health, mental health that helps us cope with some of the things that life, you know, throws our way, dealing with our own propensities for things and things like that. And so, um, you know, of course we have two small groups, adult small groups that are going through anxiety and depression, and there's a lot of really great material there. If you're interested in getting that material, you're welcome to have it. Just you can kind of, for those of you who are not already in the adult small groups and stuff, uh, look into that and we would be glad to give it to you. But uh, asked Leslie to talk today uh, about this, and also Chelsea agreed last minute to do this because she does this kind of for her job, uh, and so uh, pretty exciting. But before we begin, are there any questions just kind of lingering in your mind from just whatever or what we've talked about or just in general? Because I'd love to frame what we're going to do today, particularly with any questions or goals and things you have. So anything stuck there in your brain that you want to talk about? Nothing too big, but this is my first time attending uh, this uh, yeah. class. Same. Did I miss it? Hey, did I miss anything? Did I miss anything? Did I miss anything too big? You, you did. Everything that comes out of my mouth is really big. Uh, well, I bet. I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's about so, cope. No I mean, it's about, like, in terms of the other speakers, basically it's not helping really... us cope with you know, like any mental <laughs> issues. What's that for you? Have? Yeah, there is. It's on the stage. Oh, okay. Look oh. before you leave. No, that doesn't apply. Dang it. Sorry, he told me that he didn't have any coffee ready. I was like, wow. Okay. No, I do. Yeah, it's on stage. Okay. Cool. Sorry, sorry. No, you're but, uh, but, yeah, no, you're uh, good, man. I, I mean, you know, that's like my students asking me if they missed anything important. I just say, no, you know, we just sat around silence the whole time. That's, wow. All right. That is vague. Love. For my thoughts, I don't. Thoughts. It's just, like, hard to me, like, to talk about this like with other people because like I don't deal with like anxiety or depression yeah and like for the longest time uh, just like the way that I grew up I didn't believe in it at all I didn't like start encountering it until high school like right. my friends were dealing with it um, so yeah and I think yeah. one of the sad things about sometimes mental health stuff is it's framed 
and you know the Proverbs talk about avoiding extremes, but it's almost framed as if you either do or don't, or it's real or not. And you just got to remember that uh, there's there's much more of a we're much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. It's a spectrum of things, and so certainly in working with people and almost everybody, they may not the whole idea of lacking mental health is not seeing your situation very accurately or clearly, and so they may have something, or you may have something that you haven't recognized. And Ronnie kind of mentioned that last time, just about all of us to some degree have uh, struggles with, you know, being mentally healthy, whether it's mm-hmm. diagnosable or some label or category. But the bigger thing is recognizing that, um, you know, there are these tools out here that help us kind of give people um, some coping mechanisms and help them really reach the p- potential and capacity that they have that God has kind of given them and to, to get outside of thinking well, this is the one way of thinking it to offer on. And so if you're not struggling with those things, um, there's you know an infinite amount of possibilities and opportunities to mentor and be around people who are. And I find that in ministry, uh, you will sort of, as you deal and interact with more people, will question your own self sometimes. <laughs> because yeah. as you interact with people's reality, you can focus on, oh, hey, yeah, they, they're dealing with this and they're further along in thinking about this than even I am. Yeah, good framework that I always try to remember is, you know, we don't ever say, oh, I have, I have physical health issues or I don't. And if someone were to say like, oh, you know, pray for my mom. She's, she's got, she's having some health problems. Usually it's like, okay, well, what's, what's going on? Like that's, that's a very broad, like we consider our physical health to be very, like varying levels. And it's very, um, bunch of different like sectors of that. And we understand understand we understand that there are a lot of complexities to that but we don't really think about mental health the same way we think about it as like you have mental health problems or you don't you struggle with mental health issues or you don't whereas we all have mental health and it's all in different it's we're stronger in various ways and and we struggle in various ways and it's i think it's like a movement that we can join in is understanding how to think about like okay, your mental health may be here. What does that mean for you? Like, that's complex. It's not just, like, good or bad. Like Brad said, the same way, you know, I may have really, I don't know, really healthy blood pressure, but, like, I don't know, really weak muscles. I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, there's, you can be strong in some ways and not in some ways physically. The same thing mentally. Yeah, I mean, it's not like someone says, well, you know, I have a, sickness and then you're like well your first thought is well they probably are a hypochondriac meaning they they Mm -hmm. fake their sickness and yet we do that a lot with mental health it's very strange (laughs) like prove it you know something (laughs) physical right you wouldn't question that this person is alien right and it is physical i mean our you know the chemistry in our brains i mean that stuff Mm -hmm. is still very physical Mm -hmm. and we just don't think about it because it's not something we can immediately see i think the other thing too in medicine is that one of the uh the first things that a good doctor does is they do what's called a kind of an overall check for what's called comorbidities, which just means other issues that may be contributing to the main issue that this person's coming mm-hmm. with. And mental health, it's the same way. You know, a conversation can start off with, this is the thing that I want to talk to you about, but you look at all of the other various yeah. factors and see this is very much linked. It's not like, oh, this person has ADHD, adult ADHD, and that is their only issue. Mm-hmm. It's like there are things exacerbating those things. Um, there are other issues that are tied to that, and maybe that's the label that they've fixated on. But in reality, that's not the bigger issue. 
and which is really the point I think in a lot of counseling mm -hmm. is getting to the root of what are those things that are truly going on and uh, and that takes just some time asking questions and thinking through things and helping them frame in their mind what's really going on uh, so yeah any other questions just thoughts can we close that door sure that's a good question that yeah that was a good question though. sorry I figured it would get noisy eventually any others before we begin? Okay, great. Well, I don't know if you want to do an order for the questions. Do you guys want to stay with the order that we have? With how you planned it? Or do you just have some thoughts? Or? I actually just did thoughts on the last one because I thought that's what you wanted. Okay, great. Perfect. Well, I have. I don't. I didn't have any major thoughts on the first one, but I have a few things written for the others. Okay. Well, let's know. just talk through it in that order, and then if you want to you know, pull things back in, that's great. I think the, um, the whole idea of within the community and without the community is you've got to recognize that in our day and age, um, people have an expectation to go get fixed after they do talk therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy. And in reality, I think there's some things that you can do and you should always invite opportunity to talk with people outside of the community. But as I think we talked about last time, um, seeing people really get well requires them to have a community of support. And I think you can encourage that outside of the church if people aren't ready or willing to do that. But if you're not talking to people about their relationships, you're ultimately never going to get to the core of a lot of their issues. Just sitting and talking about this thing, that thing. Not that there's not any help in helping an individual think through things. But in my experience, particularly with people who have depression, uh, and um, uh, substance abuse disorders, they have to have a community of people around them that will support them. And you've got to know a couple of those people uh, if you're really going to help them. And so it's very, very limited your ability to help someone in a conversation or two or 10 if you don't know any of the other people in their lives to be able to come alongside them. And a lot of counselors are pretty open uh, if the person is open to bring in like a network, I've seen counselors do this a lot more now, bring a network of four or five people that they can kind of bounce ideas off. A lot of what we do in our community to be able to kind of hit this thing from a couple different different angles. And I just think that's an important one. But one of the great benefits we have being in a community is we can do a lot to really help people um, through the individual relationships we have. And I don't want to diminish the fact that you can help people outside of our community at all, but if you do, you need to think through who are their community mm -hmm. people, do you have any opportunities to talk with any of them, would they let you, um, because it's just too hard, I think, and, and the, the success rate's very low, being able to really counsel and help people if you are their only friend and only person. You know, you can give them some ideas and things like that, but at the end of the day, it's always going to be mm -hmm. easier to do talk and then just expect that they're applying these things, but all most of us know that yeah. That's not how things work. That's yeah. not how our brain works. If we don't say, have an environment to do that, it's tough. Yeah, if, if that is something just to be mindful of is if you find yourself being like, I think I'm the only person they talk to. Mm. Um, that could, it's positive that they trust you that much, but it's also for your own just well-being, that can become a lot. Mm -hmm. So really when, and I, I guess I'll bring this up when it's like, what are good questions to ask, but... Good, yeah, a good question to ask is who else do you have in your life to talk right. to about this? And that you can ask that to someone even within our community. Just who else do you feel like would be helpful for you to open up to about this, how you're feeling about this? And really helping them, like maybe even making it a point to 
I don't want, I don't I really don't want us to like leave this conversation today until I know that you have someone else to talk to. Cause I can't always answer the phone. I can't always be there for you. Not cause I don't love you, but I would hate for, you know, you, you want to present it. Like I would hate for you to be stuck in a position where you need to talk and you can't get a hold of me. I want you to have other people that you can talk to. And, um, that's always a good question to ask. I had some other questions that I thought were helpful. That's great. You want me to share them? Yeah. So, um, so I'm a social worker. I'm a high school social worker. And so I spend a lot of my time talking to students and we have a lot, like the conversations about mental health and depression and anxiety are very, very commonplace for me. So, um, I've learned a couple of things that are helpful is at being specific with your questions more than just, how are you feeling? Or how does that, how do you feel? Cause people kind of, if they have any sort of preconceived notion about talking about mental health, the question, how does that make you feel is very like, ugh to them. It's kind of the stereotypical counselor question. Not that any of you are counselors, but so maybe asking like if, if maybe someone's bringing up to you or talking about depression or talking about anxiety, asking like what kind of thoughts are going through your mind when you're feeling that way. And um, what does that look like for you? What does it look like? How do you know when you're feeling depressed? How do you know when you're feeling anxious? And giving them the opportunity to like verbalize those things and vocalize those things because they've maybe just been in their head previously. So giving them an opportunity to kind of word vomit that out and then you can sort of help them start to sort through. Mm -hmm. Here are the things that you're saying that I can tell you right now are not true. And here are the things that you're saying that, yeah, these are valid these are, this is a valid concern. Like this, this is something we can talk about and not like you're belittling them, but you can speak to it a little easier when you give them a chance to really vocalize what is it that they're thinking when they're feeling depressed and then asking them, um, if they're like, are these new feelings for you? Like, can we think of a circumstance that's bringing this up for you? And if not, how have you dealt with this in the past? Cause if someone's at a really low point, but it's been a cyclical process for them. They've been at low points before and then they come out and they have low points before. You can help support them and like, okay, you've had a low point before. What helped you kind of come out of that? And then maybe it's just waiting it out. But maybe there, maybe there are some things, some strategies that they've used that have helped them in the past. And then you can like learn about that and help them with that. So I don't know if that, if that one makes any sense. I just know for, yeah. for counseling teens and working with teens, that's a huge topic of discussion is have you felt this way before and if so how did you come out of this um what did you do that brought you out of this place and maybe they don't know but if they do that's a great starting point for you to say okay you did a b and c and you think that helped let's try that again like what i don't know why don't we why don't we try this again and that can just be a good starting point for conversation i think Along those lines, too, the whole idea of coming prepared with, like, good questions or having a, a few good questions. In my mind, when you start a small group or a discussion or even a counseling session with someone, the questions you prepared or thought of are never good questions. They're always, like, starting point questions. Right. The best questions are follow-up questions. Right. Because the follow-up questions get to the person and what they're dealing with, and you pick up on things. And I'm amazed at how... There's this thing called groupthink, you know, in, um, in uh, decision-making and, and, and where people just sort of like share the most agreeable information to each other and never get any deeper. 
There's also something, a part of groupthink, that's kind of cliche thinking, where you mm -hmm. ask a question and they give a cliche response because they don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of beginning conversations are sort of cliche, kind of, I ask you this, you give me this programmatic response. It's not actually digging in, but it's follow-up questions in the moment, improvisational questions. Not to say that they have to be super specific, right. but they can be. Those are the ones that I think are very helpful for dealing with really specific issues and helping mm -hmm. people figure out kind of the core of what's going on. A so follow-up questions are really, really great. A good one is, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. I, I know it, sounds, it may sound like simple, but I, I can't say enough how often, and this is for me too, how often I don't really know how I'm feeling until I'm forced to verbalize how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. and, and, in, and it's always a good step. It's always progress for me. But to just say like, what does that mean? You, you know, especially if you can kind of see right off the bat, like, okay, they just answered exactly what they think. I'm supposed, they, they answered what they thought I wanted them to say. So kind of push a little bit, like, what does that mean? What does that mean that you feel that way? I don't, you know, I, I hear that all the time, but what does that mean? And kind of one of, one of the questions is when should you push? Is that one of the questions? Yeah, we'll oh, dig deeper. Well, we'll ask that later, yeah. later. But yeah, when you're sensing, I'm getting some like shallow answers. What does that mean? Yeah, and it what does it puts mean? Them on the, okay, I really need to understand what am I trying to say right now. And it, and I think some of it goes back to one of the things that um, is a little bit disingenuine when we talk to people sometimes is we want them to be in control and to choose things and to figure things out. But then we also have this sort of little voice inside our head that we want to help them figure it out for themselves. We want to give advice. We want to be wise. And sometimes it's very helpful when you can tell that they're starting to kind of understand something or catch something to even just help them continue along those lines. Like get them to think yeah. through yes. and get That's to the huge. point where they understand something and realize they're in control. And then you can point it out after the fact. Because I didn't tell you this, you came up with yeah. this. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Now, I'm not at all advocating the whole sit back and just let them talk the whole time, you know, inactive, let them voice their things like we talked about last time. But if you can really help people get to a point where they do feel in control of something that they're talking about or they're recognizing something and you point out, I think you just recognize that for the first time. Mm -hmm. That can just be really, really empowering because, you know, on one hand, hey, we're telling you to choose something, do something, and on the other hand, we want to be the one to, like, help or fix. And mm -hmm. if they have to rely on us to help and fix them, and they're, they're, they're out, where they're not actually doing much to can improve their own mental health. Something that I would say to avoid... Uh, and use your better judgment, but not making it about a similar your similar experience unless it is really actually truly similar. We talked about that a lot last oh, time. Okay. No, no, that's fine. I just we talked about it. There's a kind of tendency that Oh, I've been through this. If and you it's dealt like, with okay, it, there's a pride kinda I wanna be the one to save and do this, but unless mm -hmm. the situations are like intertwined, not mm -hmm. intertwined, but are so very, similar. Very, very similar. You gotta be real careful about trying to bring in stuff because it, it can diminish, it can, mm -hmm. even if it, it doesn't mean, you don't mean to. Yeah. But we talked about that quite a bit last time, and so feel good about that one. I had some thoughts on the number three, too. Okay. Uh, other helpful questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys got some more, we can uh, do okay. that. The whole good listener thing, you know, in, in my mind, um, you know, listening is a whole lot of counteracting and challenging mm -hmm. your own motivations and your own thinking. Um, 
that's really what it is. It's listening. It's not just being there and letting the words, you know, kind of go past you like most of you guys are right now with not taking notes. Um, but it's actually, you know, he hearing your own thoughts in your own mind and making sure that you're not an obstacle to this person's, you know, it's the mm. whole self-sacrifice thing. Yeah. A couple of the ones I thought about were like comparison games, we just talked about that. Quick fixes, you know, you've heard one thing, you're like, boom, I'm going to nail this real quick. Being in control of the conversation, making sure that it always comes back to your structuring this how you want it to go. Uh, when people, if you particularly hit a nerve, sometimes people are going to kind of act out and start to say crazy things, start to say maybe hurtful things. And if you are uncomfortable with that process, it might be very easy for you to just like take it personally and not be able to, you know, kind of follow the process of what's going on. Not talking at all, which is, I think, sometimes a problem for people who feel less experienced or less dealing with things, just kind of like letting someone talk to you for an hour oh, and you're not saying anything is not healthy for you or them. It's not healthy for them. <laughs> Shut that down quick if you've got nothing to say. Um, but on the other hand, silence is a good way to listen. That's right. There's nothing wrong with there not being any talking because sometimes people have to work things out to be able to verbalize it. And when you jump in to fill that silence, it doesn't allow them to do that. So they're putting words in their mouth. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some people just are stream of conscious thinkers. I mean, they're very loquacious. They talk a lot. And you have to kind of like, sometimes interrupt can be very helpful for those people because they yes. get on tangents. Other people, it's short answers. And you've got to try to kind of fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah. People are just so strange and different. I that. think that's a really challenging place is when it is someone who is going off on tangents and... In, some, in my experience, a lot of times I'm seeing their mental health issue in action. Is they are, mm -hmm. it's just them unable to control what they're saying. I, have, I can't really totally describe it, but you, in those circumstances, it's okay if you're comfortable to be a little bit stern and be like, okay, okay, you know, you're saying a lot of things, but this is what I asked. So mm -hmm. can we stick to what we were talking about? Um, or why don't I like, I think those are good things that you're talking about. Maybe we can write them down and we can talk about that another time. But like for today or for what we're meeting about, mm -hmm. I feel like we're kind of getting all over. Like I'm trying to give, I operate in like, I like to think about how would I actually say this? Mm -hmm. How would I actually word this to someone? And these are the actual words I would use. So that's why I'm saying it this way. I like to script it out in my mind because yeah. it's way less intimidating for me. But yeah, to think through like, don't be afraid to be like, you're kind of getting all over the place. <laughs> like, I, and it's hard for me. I don't know how to help when you're kind of all over the place. So yeah, and being good. Just like, no, that was, that was my point. I was going to say being honest with your observations mm -hmm. is great. I mean, even when you're saying something like this is really overwhelming to me right now, I really need to stop and yeah. kind of think about it and help you figure it out. Making those kinds of really honest observations mm -hmm. 15 minutes in is a lot more helpful than suffering through another 30 minutes and then 45 minutes just exploding with, okay, let's just and not talk about this and doing Ever it in a <laughs> passive way. It just, it's really okay just to be kind yeah. of honest with or people. Or like, look, about, church is about to start, you know, let's, let's put this, let's table this, and let's get some time together this week. Rather than you being pulled to the, you know, sitting in the parking lot for an hour and a half during church listening to someone talk. Sometimes that's what they need. Mm. Right. Using your better judgment, sometimes it's not at all what they need. They're getting that attention when it's not what is best. Yeah. 
So that third one is the warning signs about when to kind of dig deeper and um, talk through things. You said you had some thoughts on that. Yeah. Just... Is that okay? Am I talking too much? No. no. Okay. Um, so I think if it's a recurring, <laughs> if it's a recurring topic, like I'm thinking someone in your core, uh, one of your roommates, a close friend, it's a recurring topic and they've not done, you can't see or they're not communicating that they've really done anything about it. Um, cause I, I specify that cause like, let's say they're seeing a counselor or they're in a really tough circumstance it's just gonna that's just gonna be their deal for a while like for me anything for probably the next year two years anytime I'm gonna sit down with someone and have a conversation about how I'm doing it's gonna be about my mom and I'm not gonna be doing that great you know like that's just it that's just gonna be my deal for a while so my friends would know like oh my gosh I'm worried about her like you just know it's just the season that she's in but when you're kind of observing you're like look this is like ongoing I can't see that it's a circumstance. I can't see that they've even like thought about talking to a counselor about it or anything. It might be a time to like, look, this has been a deal for a while for you, but maybe we, you should do something. Maybe we should talk to a counselor. Like, let's talk to Brad, let's talk to Leslie, let's find someone that you could talk to. Um, or like, this is maybe a little too, I don't know, like social worky, but if you're seeing like a lot of behavioral changes in them, like it's a roommate and all of a sudden they don't come out of their room anymore. They're spending all their money on stupid things. They are not talking to anybody. You're, you know, but you're seeing those behavioral changes. That's always a good time to ask deeper questions. And then same with like changes in their physical health. If they're like, they completely stop taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. They completely lose a lot of weight. They gain a lot of weight. They change their eating habits. Like, just they stop showering as much like all those things that maybe too, I don't mean to be so like social work counseling about it but those are all good signs that something bigger is going on and you need to have a conversation about it and I don't well yeah I think taking serious specifically people who are close to you in this case mm -hmm. taking serious other people who aren't so close to the person's observations about changes because you know that whole mm. boiling frog thing you know it's no. Really? If you um, put a frog in a cold pot of water and leave the frog in there and then slowly turn the temperature of the water up, the frog won't notice the temperature changes and it'll die. You turn all the way up to boiling. The frog won't notice that the water... I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just a point that... It's a like, metaphor. The frog like, won't notice that the change because it's uh, happening incrementally and the frog doesn't notice and all of a sudden it's dead. But uh, if you take a frog and throw it into a pot of boiling water, it's going to like jump out immediately because it notices that it's hot. I don't know if it's true, man. I don't really know. But it's just you, a common like... You look like, like you're kind of... No, I like, get it. I just it's like when like someone close to you loses a lot of weight or gains a lot of weight or does something. You don't you notice as much. You see them every day, much. yeah. Um, but the whole idea is here is that if someone who doesn't know that person very well it makes this uh, observation, particularly when it's two people, you got to take that serious mm. and uh, probably think about it a little bit. The other thing, too, is when people are going through really difficult life stuff, uh, when they have don't ever talk about it or don't ever mm -hmm. seem to have any problems, <laughs> yeah, yeah. unless they're this one of those kind of like super metal personality types that nothing kind of phases them. Even then, it's for them it's going to be a lot kind of in their mind. Right. But it's really important that when people are going through stuff, you just kind of mention and talk through things, uh, particularly when they're just not. Because a lot of times, probably nine out of ten, they're bottling it up for some kind of big acting out or episode or whatever and if you can kind of head off the pass that can be very very helpful I think um, and uh, yeah um, moving on yeah cool third one
Fourth one? Don't know where we're at? Yeah, we're on the fourth one. Can fourth you read one. that question? Yeah. Uh, things to say, not to say, when to challenge, not to, that kind of thing. I like the axiom. I think it's called axiom. Where you can always say more louder later. And sometimes that can be really meaningful to someone. Is if you, you know, text them, call them later and say, I've been thinking a lot mm. about what we talked about. And these things have come to my mind. That can really mean a lot to someone to know that you were even thinking about it beyond your conversation with them. That helps in a lot of ways because, number one, it takes the pressure off of you to know what to say right away. You don't have to know what to say right away. And it helps them feel loved and valuable to you if it's important enough for you to think about calling them a few days later and saying, "I, I... Because even so, like, maybe someone dumps a lot on you. Go get advice. You always have time. That's one of the things that I've learned in my practice is if it's a big emergency, I know what to do. I need to call 911. I need to get this kid somewhere right now safely. I need to call CPS. There's no wiggle room. But nine times out of ten, it's not that big of an emergency, which means, okay, I can chill out. I have time to figure out how should I respond to this. So you guys are in the same boat, you, you know. If it's an emergency, well, we don't really need to get into that, but most of the time it's not going to be an emergency. They just have a lot going on and you may not know how to respond. So you always have time. You always have the option to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help you, but I want to. So I, you know, is it okay with you if I, like, I think I could get really good advice or I think there's someone else, maybe we could go together and talk to someone else. Um, and then I, I maybe can have more ways to help you. Like, that's totally fine for you to say. You don't have to have an answer for them. Yeah, I would say that uh, I would, as a personal rule of thumb, not plan on talking to anybody about a counseling issue unless you're not willing and ready to follow up with them at least twice after. Mm-hmm. Because too many of us, we want to have one conversation. And from our perspective, we think it's settled, done with, we fixed it because we're not experiencing the same thing they're experiencing. And so it's that one time and done. But, you know, that's what I try to do in my personal time with people. Is if I don't have the ability to talk with them two or three times as a follow-up for counseling stuff, I'm probably going to direct them to someone else, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and it might be in that first conversation, directing them to, hey, I think you need to talk to this person or that person. But, you know, that things just don't get resolved in a conversation. It's, mm. it's very, very rare. Uh, unless someone was already prepped for it and they have a lot of other people talking to them. Right. Um, and then maybe your conversation shed a lot of light on it, which is okay. But generally speaking, you still need to know that the next time you follow up with them, and it's like it seems like it was a result. But unless you're willing to do a couple of conversations with someone, you probably ought not be that point person. That's not a really responsible use of of counseling. And I don't. And I don't mean to like put. I don't think that most of you would be the point person for someone. Most of your your role is going to be, let's find someone. That you can talk. That would even be, I mean, my role here at the church. Yeah, I'm a social worker. I'm not our church's social worker. So my response to people is, who else can we, can I get you to talk to about this? You know, don't, whatever. But something else I think is helpful to say is just tell them it's okay that you're feeling this way. Like, it's okay. It's, it's normal. A lot of people, like, struggle with this depending on their background. Like Tyrus said, this may not ever have been something they recognized in themselves. I, my parents, I can't tell you how many times they prayed over me for my anxiety, and it wasn't until I was 24 years old 
I was like, maybe I have an issue. Like, finally, it's not something I need to just just pray about forever and ever. Um, prayer's not, nothing wrong with prayer. But some, they may never have even recognized that this is, like, an okay way of feeling. Mm-hmm. And so to just say, like, it's okay and it's not a sin that you're feeling depressed and anxious. And it's not because your faith is weak. Um, I think in the Christian community, we internalize a lot of that and we assume I'm not believing in God enough. I'm not trusting in God enough. I don't know enough about God's character. I don't have enough of the Holy Spirit in my heart, in my mind. This is why I'm struggling with this so much. This is why I can't seem to shake this. Um, these are all things that I've believed about my own anxiety. And so I speak from experience when I say that. And to really tell someone, like, this isn't a sin. This isn't because your faith is weak. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, and, and I think especially if you're talking to someone who's gotten to the point where they're, like, they've talked to a doctor or maybe going to get on medication for this, to really say, like, this, this is a chemical thing in your brain, and this is just a way you're simply addressing a chemical issue in your brain. Like, that's okay. Um Maybe they've not gotten to that point, but it's still okay to reassure them. Like, God's not ashamed of your sadness, and he's not ashamed of your worry. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, helping people understand that uh, their mental health is going to be connected with their spirituality. And so if you're depressed, it's very easy to think God doesn't care about you. If you're anxious, Mm -hmm. it's easy to think God's not in control. And Mm -hmm. one of the things to be careful about saying is, you're in control of this. Um, the humanist kind of mindset is that you have the ability to, to overcome this. But there's an irony there because at the same time, humanism is very much connected to uh, you, know, so, you know scientific um, kind of, uh, you know, we're all just sort of natural beings and this is all natural. So on the one hand, it's like you have the ability, but the other hand, it's like, no, this is pretty much just who you are. It's very strange. Um, but in, in, I think, in Christian thinking, and number one, we're not in control of these things. God gives us the ability to do that. And as soon as we begin to say, well, you're in control of this, that might easily, we had this conversation last mm-hmm. night, might make the person think, well, why can't I change it immediately then? Mm-hmm. I think the better way to phrase that to give hope and, and joy is the idea that you have the capacity mm-hmm. and the potential to deal with this successfully because, because the Spirit is inside you. And God's going to work in these issues. It might take a very long time. It might require natural, you know, methods of medicine and things like that. But I've watched as people, you know, have been changed by the spirit working within them. I mean, even people changed, the spirit's not working within them can make certainly natural and gradual changes. But certainly, in my mind, the most radical and dramatic changes are the ones that the spirit of God does inside people. And so just being careful not to say things like, well, you're in control of this, you know, you you can do this, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, well, no, maybe I can't. Maybe that's going to make them feel even worse about the situation they're in. But the potential's there, and, you know, you, you have, God's going to give you the ability to, to work through this and deal with it, so long as you join with him kind of in it. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big one. There's so many specific things to say. We talk about this a lot of our deals, you know, with anxiety. We talked about this last week about, you know, helping someone understand the difference between you know, truth and reality, that you know, your feelings are real, but they're not the truth, you know, and that's okay to have the feelings because they're real. It's like, I can't eat Mexican food, it's a terrible uh, 
imagery, illustrations. There we go. <laughs> I can't eat Mexican food without having a Coke. It's just, I know, I just can't do it. But like, I know that's real for me, that I have to have that connection, but it's not true that you like can't eat Mexican food without a Coke. And other people seem to be able to do it pretty successfully. <laughs> um, but in my mind, those, those things are associated. And um, I think with depression though, on the other hand, you know, you really can't say that same thing. You can't say, oh, well, if you just sort of believe the truth, you'll start feeling better because it's, that's not, <laughs> that's not about believing the truth. It's about right. knowing the truth and not having any emotional response to right. it. And so that's just a very different thing. It so, is very different. Um, even though they have kind of the same, you know. They're lumped together lumped a lot, together, but yeah. they, they, anxiety and depression function in very different ways. So I think it can be very, very helpful too in terms of, uh, you know, things to say is you've got to help people recognize that for a lot of these issues, this just, most people, when they come to you or talk to you, they want one thing and one thing only. And what is that? Sympathy, pity, attention. No, I don't know. None of those things. For you to fix the answer. For you to fix it. Yeah. Okay. They want it fixed. They want, they want it done. Do They're that. in a yeah. place where they're experiencing something they don't want to experience. And with that, it could just be a moment, which is scary, because the moment might go away. But usually it's a pattern, it's a path, it's something that's gone on and they just want it fixed. And I think one of the things that can be very helpful while at the same time get realistic expectations is this is going to be a process. Right. And um, but, but in the process, there's going to be a lot that you will look back on and think, wow, that changed me drastically and just like the process of starting a church or starting a ministry sure anybody wants to just jump to like five or six hundred people but honestly some of the coolest memories about starting ministries is that weird ragtag group of people that day to day we I looked around and I was like what this is not going to happen <laughs> you know yeah. um, it's that those memories of the process that you know I equally love the, the results no doubt but the process was very much a a very positive and you know in retrospect um, looking back at that and there's just a lot you can see that God did even in the people of Israel through the process of taking them where they needed to be and so really encouraging people and helping them understand like you don't want a quick fix you want the process here the process is where God is going to show himself it's where he's going to make uh, you know your faith stronger as you recognize that uh, that he's the one doing this um, and really personal and and uh, and I think supernatural ways. So just encouraging people about that that kind of process way of looking at it. And that, hey, it's going to be hard. There's going to be some hard parts about this, but we grow through those hardships, and and that can just be good to hear um, that someone else also just knows that there's going to be a process, mm -hmm. and they don't expect you to, to hurry up and get fixed so they can go on with their life. So I also think reminding people that they're not alone. Um, I think one of the big things with depression in particular is that you feel very isolated and very alone and you feel very much like God has left you. And so just reminding people that you have support, you have people in your life, if that's true. Um, but most importantly, God has not left you. He's still here with you. He yeah. still wants yeah. to help you, um, I think is really important. All right, what about this last one? So... Um... Um, about really giving people hope and uh, joy. Actually, you know what? I want to read a psalm. Oh my gosh, I didn't leave him the key. Nice. Uh, so, let's do Psalm 18. Uh, 
And uh, let's read this real quick. I think this is a really, really helpful uh, psalm for dealing with kind of issues and stuff. We're going to read this pretty quickly. I'm going to point out a few things. Um, But I really, really love this psalm. I think it's great. There's so many good counseling kind of pieces of wisdom and stuff uh, here. And uh, I just, I think that's so, so cool. Um, So you guys ready? If you just want to listen, you can listen. That's no big deal. So I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of... Is this right? This isn't right. It's Proverbs 18. Is it Proverbs 18? No, uh, it's Psalm 18. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm reading off. it in NIV, and I think <laughs> I normally read it. No, it definitely is Proverbs 18. <laughs> Wait. That you want Looks to, to me read? Like yes, that I want to read. Yeah. Oh, I'm at Psalm 19. Yeah, right no, now. definitely That's Proverbs. Mature. Sorry, I was reading that and I'm like, this is definitely not right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Got a little distracted. Sorry. Okay. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound and judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does contempt. And with shame comes reproach. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. I love that imagery in particular because it's like people can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And you can just get stuck in the depths. But wisdom is actually a stream. It's rushing. It's moving. It's beautiful. It's it's actually accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. I just like that image. And in counseling, the right word, the right, you know, phrase, statement that's really spirit-led is so much better than hundreds of hours of just talking words and going back and forth with people. Uh, It's not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. The lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. (laughs) The mouths of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. One who is slack in his work is a brother to to one who destroys. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. The heart of discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. A gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. We talked about that a lot last week about really kind of understanding situations. Casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. A brother wronged is more yielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. And this is where I really, this last part, I think I like the best. But all of this can be very, very helpful if you just digest it some and probably read it in the message. Uh, From the fruit of their mouth as a person's stomach is filled... With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. And one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I just realized that reading that out loud is not that helpful. It's one of those you have to go back and uh, really try to understand. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're like, well, we 
Most of our time. How does that have anything okay. to do with counseling? <laughs> okay, first, uh, did did you actually mean to go to Proverbs yeah, eighteen? Yeah, yeah. Proverbs. yeah, because I, I I was at Psalm eighteen and oh, you I was are. following I was along. What's your yeah, then, I was too, and then I was like, this then, is wrong. Then you told us to go to... Yeah. Well, whatever those are a real roller coaster. Yeah, and, and, and I got completely lost. Yeah, oh god, it's totally my fault. Leslie, we take it away since I, I'm banned from speaking now. Yeah, I'm just curious <laughs> if you guys have any thoughts on why we hesitate a lot of times to offer hope to people. Hmm. I feel like if, like for me personally, is like I'm with somebody and it's it feels like the hope I have to offer is often not genuine because I've not been there I don't know like what the end result hope you know that we're like looking towards I don't know what that looks like so I don't know exactly how to offer offer that it's like because it's like I'm trying to give somebody a hope and it's it at the end that comes at the end for the joy that comes at the end of a situation that like I've not been in, I don't know how this is gonna go. So I think it comes from my own uncertainty with what's going on. Yeah. I think for me is like uh, when I'm offering that uh, hope for a person, uh, like you, uh, what's your name? Margo. Margo, like it's what she alluded to, um, like the the gravity of the situation that they're going through. Um, not knowing how much that is for that person, um, it, it would seem like uh, the onus of like my words uh, is like telling them, "Oh, okay, no, it's, it'll be you know things will be fine." Da, da, da. But it's almost like uh, I'd be afraid of giving false hope, mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. um, I'm afraid that I understand what I'm doing for them, but I'm afraid that they would think that. Oh well, this part, you told me that things would be fine, or da, 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 da. especially if you're the only person that they're getting that from, then mm -hmm. it just becomes a conundrum of an issue. Yeah. Um, so, like for me, I, I have a tendency to be not all the time, but there are times where it's like ah, I don't want them to, I don't want to give them this uh, misguided expectation. Empty um, hope. Or yeah, yeah, empty yeah. hope. Yeah, 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 and so I think that's really important in offering hope to people is that you understand that offering hope is not promising them a certain outcome. Um, hope is given regardless of what circumstances are and what outcomes are. And we see that all throughout the Bible that people that are suffering, people that are persecuted are pointed back to um, a true hope, not a promised outcome. Like it's never said oh, that suffering is going to be taken away from you. That's where your hope is. That's not what it is. Um, I think it can also really feel like we're just offering platitudes to people, like just a quick, oh, it'll be okay or whatever. But when we offer hope, we're offering something that we truly believe that the Bible has firmly stated. That's what we're trying to do is to point them back to what the truth is. That's what hope really is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that's out of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Um, I would also say in offering hope to people that depression and anxiety, in my experience, are almost always there's some specific lie associated with that. And so a person, when they become depressed or when they become anxious, there is a lie that will occur over and over again as they're in that. And so helping them find hope for that particular lie mm -hmm. is really important. For instance, um, 
somebody who's close to me, whenever they're depressed, it's always they go back to the past mistakes they've made mm -hmm. and believe they're not forgiven. And that rolls over and over and over in their mind. And so being able to offer hope for what the scripture says is true about we are forgiven mm -hmm. and our past is redeemed and is wiped away um, is important. Can and I say then, one thing with that? Yeah. I think one of the go-to scriptures, which is a platitude, but it's one that... Uh, you have to kind of assign people and yourself to go and try to believe. Uh, and that's just that Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things mm -hmm. for the good of those who love him. Not yeah. because he's paying favoritism, but because he can only work out you know, those good mm -hmm. things for people who ultimately love him. Because if you don't love him, you're not going to obey him, you're not going to follow him, you're not going to trust him. So there's no way for him to have control over what it is you do. And I think that passage is one that you have to just kind of assign people to go like, mm -hmm. try to go back and think about situations where he did that, try to believe this. Because if you can believe this and really internalize it, um, it makes all the difference for, you know, uh, being able to suffer and go through what mm -hmm. you go through now. Because if it's truly just something that we need to get rid of and is, you know, I gotta do something to fix it, it, it puts a lot of stress on you. One of the biggest things that gave me hope with depression was when someone just told me, you know, like, you know, you try to make these decisions, you try to figure out what's wrong with your depression, but, but ultimately your depression has, is just something that's going to come on you and go off you and you have no control over it. <laughs> and in those moments, it was very, very helpful for me. I remember the first couple times to just be like, all right, this sucks. It's not yeah. great. It's painful. But I trust that God's going to work good out of it, and I'm just not going to sit here and try to make big decisions or think about how yeah. terrible things are. It's right. just really relieving. Um, so I think Almost that's two like ideas in one. But for someone who has actually, it is has been identified that it is just like a chemical imbalance in their brain. I think it's helpful to kind of put that in its rightful place with someone and be like, look, this is just like some levels in your brain. They're not adding up. We got to let it pass. But even when it's environmental stuff, it's, you know, most people can't immediately change their environment. And they're a part of a yeah. system, whether it's a mm -hmm. public system, whether it's a governmental system, uh, whatever, a family situation, that they can change no more than a person yeah. can change their chemical imbalance. And so there's still hope there. I mean, yeah. and not to mention the fact that most of the people in the scripture were super locked into their right. life. I mean, more so than I think even some people genetically speaking today are locked into their way of thinking. Mm -hmm. They were locked into their life and had to deal with these scriptures in ways that, you know, we, they couldn't even imagine that some of the choices and ability we have to get out of our environment. And so there's still hope that if those people could deal with this and really understand it, we certainly can. Um, but go ahead, I know we're running out of time, so. Yeah, I just wanted to read you a couple of things that I think give good context to offering hope. This is out of a book called Suffering in the Heart of God. It's really about um, how to help people that are in trauma, but I've learned so much about just how to help people through depression and anxiety through some of this as well, but these are just two short things. When you and I think about bringing the power of Christ's resurrection into the lives of others, I expect we tend to think of ways to make it better. We want to help people get away from suffering. We want to make it as if it did not happen. However, when we look at the resurrected Christ, what do we see? Scars. Thomas put his hand in Jesus' wounds. If you and I were in charge, I suspect the resurrected Christ would be free of all wounds. Scars are not pretty. Scars are something people tried to hide. Christ will endure for all eternity. 
the victory of Jesus Christ, his kingdom, and his glory come by way of the scars, by weakness, by suffering. Do you hear the hope in that for people? And then the other one is about us hoping for people. Often we think we need techniques, programs, plans, or the right words, and those things can be helpful. However, people do not just need knowledge about the character of God, but the actual demonstration of it in the flesh, in you. They will know this truth, his love, his mercy, and his grace as we sit with them and live with them. They will know of his infinite grace and patience as those qualities are evidenced in you. People who have been abused have been saturated with evil, lies, manipulation, humiliation, and rage. Oh, how they need to sit with the loving and truthful character of the Father in you. They do not just need to hear about it. They need to experience it in you. People who are depressed do not need statements about hope. They need you to hope for them when they can't lift their head. And so I think that gives a little bit of context to us giving hope to people. And certainly... um, you know, we have hope to offer them. Mm-hmm. We believe what scripture says. And so just one example of that, um, I'll give you one that I use myself quite a bit because I struggle with depression and anxiety. Um, and it's Psalms 23. It's so old school. Um, but the imagery in it is so amazingly calming. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That's what I want more than anything in times of depression and anxiety is I just want to be refreshed and to be reminded that that comes from the Lord. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley and depression and anxiety feels like the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Again, you're not alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so then there's that hope of eternity again. Mm -hmm. So it provides, I feel like the Psalm 23 provides hope in the present, but it also provides hope for the future. And I've got a ton of uh, scriptures that I think really speak hope if you're interested in that. I'm going to share it with you. Just the scripture references? Yes. Yes. Um, Romans 8, 37 through 39. Romans 15:13 is a good scripture to pray with people. Hebrews 13:5 through 8, Hebrews 4:15 and 16, Revelation 21:3 through 5. Yeah, we uh, I mean if you go to one book in the Bible that talks more about hope than the others, it's going to be Romans, which is really an interesting book anyway because too many Christians have talked about it as like the Christian theology book and it certainly has theology, but more than any other book it talks about how to uh, deal with you know some of life's major problems in the context of a corrupt society, um, and uh, we're actually going to do it probably for our sermon series on politics next semester. So we should be talking about hope some there too. Can you please repeat the ones for Romans? Yeah. I just pulled a few out. I've actually got a lot in Romans. I didn't even read all of them. Um, 
Yeah, I could meet with you. Could I meet with you? Yeah, yes. absolutely. I'll just give you my notes if oh, you want, you. and you can have those scripture references. All righty. Well, just for the record, that was Proverbs 18, not Psalm 18. Not Psalm Please don't read Psalm 18 and think that, okay, bye bye. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.